Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. This week's message comes from the fourth Sunday of Lent. In this week's message, Pastor David Cartwright breaks down one of Jesus' prayers, focusing on how Jesus viewed his own work and how he prayed for all of us. Pastor Cartwright has been doing a sermon series on being in the world, but not part of it. And today, his focus is on how Jesus has already, and continues to, intercede on our behalves to help keep us focused on God's work. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. I'll invite you to turn in your scripture to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 17. We're not going to read the text first. We'll be kind of using the bulk of this chapter and uh, making reference to it as we make our way through the message this morning and pray by the Holy Spirit that God's Word will speak to us and find a place of lodging within our hearts and that Christ would be lifted up through it. Uh, John 17 is a part, uh, the last part, if you will, of a long segment in this gospel account. Uh, It gives us the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples on the night before he went to the cross for us. And uh, after having that conversation with the, con- with the disciples, chapter 17 grants to us the, the prayer that Jesus offered. Uh, this chapter has been referred to in different ways. Sometimes you will uh, hear it referenced as the high priestly prayer of Jesus, which it is. Uh, Jesus very much acts as in a priestly role in, in praying as an intercessor for us in this prayer. Sometimes you'll hear people refer to this as the real Lord's Prayer. And and the prayer that you and I just shared together uh, sometimes is called the Disciples' Prayer, but we're not going to get mixed up on terminology. Uh, This is a place where Jesus indeed prayed for you. And, And I hope you hear it as that this morning. In fact, as I was thinking about bringing this message today, I want to say to you that what we're going to do in visiting this passage is probably going to feel like we are doing what I really don't want to do, and I intend not to do, but that is to, uh, to, to break apart and to kind of analyze the, the text. And, and to approach the text like that really doesn't set well with me. It, it gives me a very odd feeling because it just doesn't seem like like the right thing to take a prayer and and start to break it apart and to analyze it. So that's really not what I'm intending to do, even though I know it's going to feel like doing that. In the end, what I really want is for us to be able to hear Jesus pray for us. I know that many of you here have at least at some time in your life known the blessing of having someone pray for you. 
I will tell you not only as a Christian within the fellowship of the church, but probably especially as a pastor for a number of years now, I've known the richness of having people pray for you. But I want you to think that hopefully for some of you, hopefully for all of you, and perhaps for some of you, there has been a, a time when you have been in the presence of someone who is praying for you. And in the midst of that person's prayer, you have been blessed to hear God speak to you. That something that that person has said in the midst of that prayer has, has struck you w without any reservation as God speaking to you. It, it, they are words that you needed to hear just at that time to, to grant to you encouragement or, or insight or something you needed to hear. It's like God used that person to speak directly to you as they were praying. If you've never had that happen, I hope for you that it happens and it happens soon because it is a powerful thing to have that happen. I want you to appreciate this morning that Jesus has prayed for you. There is richness in hearing Jesus pray for you. In fact, in my theology, Jesus continues to pray for you. He continues to be an intercessor for you at the throne of God. But I want you to hear some of the things that Jesus prayed for you. And that there are places in this text that, that, that really reveal. So, I mean, we could start. And let's just look at a little bit of this just to see that... Uh, what Jesus has, has done here. In verse 9, Jesus says, I ask on their behalf, on whose behalf? Those who were gathered with him. Jesus is offering in this prayer, prayer for the disciples. He says, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And again in verse 20, he says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. So we know right away that when Jesus is praying here 2,000 years ago, He's saying, I'm asking on behalf of every person who through the witness through generations come into relationship with me. Jesus in this moment has prayed for every one of us. And I want us to think about what Jesus prayed. Begin with me, if you would, at verse 3. In the midst of this prayer, Jesus says this. He, he, he's been talking about eternal life. I've come to give them eternal life. And in verse 3, he says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. So you see, one of the things for which Jesus prays today is the work of God. Thank you, God, for giving me this work. I've accomplished the work that you have given me. What was the nature of that work? 
I'll, I'll put it very plainly and simply, to make God known to them. And Jesus says, I've finished your work. I have made you, Father, known to the disciples. You see, he prayed with thanksgiving about his work. Look with me again, the last part of verse 21. What is his work? And you'll find these phrases in the end of verse 21, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Always pay attention when you're reading scripture. When you read, when you hear, hear that phrase, so that, see, that's purpose. All of this happened so that the world may believe that you sent me. Again, in the last part of verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You see, part of Jesus' prayer is about his work, the primacy of his work. Do you and I ever pray about the work that we do? Ever pray about that? Pray about what's before you? Have you ever been part of a, a church that prayed about the things we were doing? I hope you say yes. We do it all the time, don't we? We pray about our work. You see, I believe that the things about which we pray will reveal to us the things that are really important to us. We will know the things that are of primary importance because they will start to show up in the things for which we pray. So pay attention to your prayer. It will show you what's important to you. Jesus came, this is, he is ending the end of his life, and there were so many things for which he could have prayed. Think about it as if it would have sounded differently. Jesus knows he's going to the cross the next day. He could have said, Lord, I just want to thank you because, I mean, I've, I've had good years so far, and, and man, especially these last three years, I've made these good friends, and we've had some good times together, and you've, you've been watching over us as we've moved from place to place, and, and I've made really good friends and connections with them, and you see, he could have been praying about, oh, and you remember when we got to feed all those people out on the hillside, and man, that was just awesome, God, that we got to, you know, provide a meal for those folks. There were so many things for which you could have prayed, but you see what he zeroed in on. He didn't mention any of the rest of that stuff, all of which was fine and good. What did he mention? I made your name known to them. That was the important work. And Jesus said, I finished it. One of the greatest challenges to the work of the church is distraction. You ever get distracted? Insert uncomfortable laughter. Can I give you a glimpse of what it's like in my life sometimes? These kinds of things happen. You see, I could be sitting at home working on something that is of critical importance. And as I'm trying to do that, I think, boy, you know, I could, I could really do well with this work if I just went and got a snack. A little bite of something to eat and a beverage, you know, that really helped me focus. And so I go into the kitchen 
And when I get into the kitchen, I see, oh, you know, gosh, we kind of left a little bit of a mess. I need to clean that up. And so wash off a few dishes and just kind of get them a little more neatly stacked. And then I think, well, this dish rag really needs to go to the dirty clothes. And so I walk to the dirty clothes hamper. And when I hang it on the edge there, I see this, you know, I go, oh, man, there's that basket of clothes that, you know, were clean and I meant to fold the other day. So I grab the basket of clothes and I go into the bedroom and I fold them and go put them away in the drawers. And 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 uh, then I look and I think, oh, my gosh, you know, it's time to get the summer clothes out, you know, because the weather's really changing. I've been meaning to do that. And so you go up in the attic and you drag out a tub of clothes and you start going through them and you get your summer clothes out and you put your winter clothes away and then you put your tub back up. And you feel good about all these little things that you've done. And you know what's happened? I'm a mile away from the important thing that I was doing at one point. That's never happened to any of you, right? A little glimpse into my life. This, this happens. Distraction. By all kinds of good things. Sometimes we as the church just get distracted. We allow things that are fine and good to keep us from focusing on what we really are supposed to be doing. And that's the thing that has to always be before us. That's the thing for which Jesus prayed. Making His name known to the world. His purpose. And Jesus prayed about the purpose of the church. He's prayed over you and me for our purpose. He's prayed over us for our sanctification. Read these words with me from verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me, Father. They have kept your word. And now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understand that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. This is all getting around to this. I have given them your word. Verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You see, this, was, this is what happens when people become part of the word of God. When the word gets into them and we become people of the world, of the word, then we go into the world, and what happens then? It's like there's conflict because the word and the world don't resonate. Verse 17, this is God, this is Christ's prayer for us. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself so that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Christ prayed for his body that we would be a body sanctified in truth. What does the word sanctified mean? Set apart. We, that, that's the notion be, behind holiness. It means set apart, different. 
So when Christ prays for us, He prays that we would be set apart, different. Set apart for God's purpose. How will we do that? In, in what are we sanctified? In truth. And we're reminded that there is truth. There is God's truth. And in Jesus Christ, we are given God's truth. Truth about God, truth about the human condition, truth about the remedy for it, truth about what God's design is. All of this, we are given truth. And Christ prayed, sanctify them. God, keep them anchored in your truth. This is why we encourage ourselves as, as part of our life together. It is primary that we stay rooted in God's Word. Because, because it is God's Word given to us to understand by the Holy Spirit that we stay set apart for God's purpose. If we lose that, we lose everything. There, there was a time in, in Israel's history, probably more than one time, when, when the actual text of the people, the Word of God, had been lost. And, and after generations, it gets uncovered, and, and then you know, the, the leader during that time says, Oh my gosh, we, gotta, we have to take this Word and we get back to it. And there's, there's revival and there's a remembrance of who the people are supposed to be. Our purpose in the world is grounded in the truth of God. It is how the world will identify us. Now, there are a couple of qualifications that I want to make sure I don't overlook. First of all, when I say this, please don't get an image in your mind that what I'm saying is that we need to take a black leather-bound Bible and chase people down the street with it. That, that's not the tactic I'm recommending. What I am saying is that as people of God in Jesus Christ, we are sent into the world to stand on the truth that comes from our Scripture. And we are going to find all kinds of opportunity to stand on that word. We will be people who are invited to take a gentle and yet steadfast stance when the world, when the culture, when the society says this is how it should be, when that is in contrast to what God's truth tells us, we gently and steadfastly say, that's not the truth. That's not it. That, that's, that's all we're called to do. And yes, standing here and saying it makes it sound so easy. And in so many ways it's not. Because we're under this great pressure. Conform. Comply. You have to go the way the world goes. You have to wait, go the way, you have to take up the marching orders of, of your, you know, whatever society's great 
great uh, uh, cause is or the culture's great influence. If you don't take it up, you get pushed aside and you get labeled. And God says, no, my truth stands. And my people have to stand on it. Second qualification is this. When you hear me say this, please don't think I have forgotten the greatest virtue, which is love. This is the great tension that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. We are people of truth and love. I wouldn't say that this saying is without the need for you, you could have conversation around it. But I've heard it said, and I think it's probably at least good to kind of think about, that truth and love go together so tightly and importantly that love without truth is not love, and truth without love is not truth. God calls us to hold both of them together. And I very well remember what Jesus said to his disciples only a few chapters before where we're reading today. In John 13, verse 35, where we hear those words that ring to us all the time, when Jesus said, By this they will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's what he said. If we have not the love of Christ, the truth won't matter. But if we toss aside the truth of God, the depths of our compassion will not bring about the kingdom. We're people of truth and love. We hold them both. Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified in His truth. He also prayed for our unity. This is maybe the one thing that we hear above everything else in this passage. Jesus prayed and it's recorded for us in verse 11, in the second part of that verse. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. In the beginning of verse 21, he says, he, he, after saying, I do not ask uh, of these alone, but those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they also may be in us. In verse 22, he says, The glory which you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. Unity. The unity of God's people. If you don't already know this, you should know this. And I have news for you. Church, the world knows your baggage. Do I need to explain that? The people out here in the community... They know the dirty laundry of what happens inside these walls. 
And I'm not trying to single out this congregation. You could say this in, in and of any church, any congregation, any denomination, doesn't matter. The folks out there know the dirty laundry in here. And they know it more in a small town. They know the things that cause division. And Jesus understands that division does not represent the kingdom. Christ has not called us to uniformity. We are not all going to be robots who think alike on every little issue and thing. We are individuals who have different preferences, different understandings, but there is a unity in Christ that is critical. And if we don't have it, and we don't embrace it, and we don't live it, then our witness to the world suffers. They know our dirty laundry. They know our baggage. They know the divisions that happen. And it does not give a good witness. So you see, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I am compelled to actively embrace Actively embrace. You know what the word actively means? I don't have to explain that, do you? It means that I'm not just sitting back and saying, well, that sounds like a good idea. It means that I live a life that demonstrates that these things are important. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I am called to actively embrace my unity with Followers of Christ of all different kinds. That means as part of the white church, I am called to embrace the people who are part of the black church, or the Asian church, or the Hispanic church, and you could go on down the line. Why do I use those terms? Because those are the terms that we familiarly use. But I use them recognizing that there is really no such thing as the white church or the black church or the Asian church or the Hispanic church. There is just the church. It's just the church. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I am called to actively embrace the people whose sign out front says something different than mine. I could say of myself that I'm a Methodist Christian or a Wesleyan Christian, which wouldn't be an inaccurate representation. But you see, there's always the risk immediately that what am I doing? I'm, I'm building walls. I'm, I'm making a division. So you see, I, I need to embrace the reality that there are Baptist Christians and there are Catholic Christians and there are Pentecostal Christians and there are non-denominational or independent, whatever term you want to use, 
Christians because that's what the sign out front says, right? But why do I use those terms? Because those are the terms that we so often use. But I use them recognizing that there is no such thing really as the Methodist church or the Baptist church or the Catholic church. There's just what? You're, you're saying this so timidly, and I know you shall already be on the same page with me. It's just the church. Because in Christ, God has broken down the dividing walls. Let me give you a little homework to read. Ephesians chapter 2. We were there a few weeks ago. We covered the first ten verses in that chapter. Read on from verse 11 and go forward. And what you're going to find is that the writer of Ephesians starts to recollect that in Christ there, there's a great union that has happened because he remembers that before that there was this great concept that people fell into two categories. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. There were the people who had been blessed with the covenant of God, selected from among all the peoples of the earth, that they may manifest what it looked like to be in relationship with the creator of the earth. And there was everybody outside the covenant, dividing wall. There was us, and there was them. And what you're going to find out when you get to verse 14 is that the writer of Ephesians says, that in Christ, what happened to that wall? It came down. It's down. And not only does the wall between Jew and Gentile come down, the wall between everything that divides us, but the problem is we get so divided, don't we? We, we, we get divided among, by, by, by politics and cultural influence and and society's movements, and, and, and what happens is the influences that divide us become stronger than the influences that unite us, the influence that unites us. And I use that language very intentionally because influences always happen at our permission. You and I are influenced by the things that we allow to influence us. The power that unites us is always greater than anything that divides us. And that's the power of the cross of Christ. Our downfall is when we allow the other influences to build walls that shouldn't be there. Jesus, on the last night of his life, prayed for the unity of his people. And I believe we are doing as much as denying him if we have no regard for what that unity should look like in our world today. I want to invite you to do something. Not right here. 
maybe later today. But I want you to do this. I want you to take some quiet time. Whatever time that you is, is going to be necessary for you, maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, I don't know. I want you to take some time and I want you to take this text of John 17 because I know that the moments we spent here felt like doing exactly what I never wanted to do, which is just take the piece, take the text apart and, and to analyze it. I want you to take this text and I want you to visit it, let it flow, and I want you to hear in it Jesus praying for you. And that by the Holy Spirit, you may know the power of having your closest friend invoke God's blessing and direction into your life. He prayed for you. This is the Lord's prayer for you. May it be used to speak to you for the good of our walk in Christ. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you have given us your son. I thank you that he walked among us with the greatest of humility and yet with the greatest of boldness. I thank you that he loved us so much, unlovable as we are, that he would walk to that cross willingly and give his very life so that we might have forgiveness and redemption. I thank you, God, that he prayed for us. I thank you that he still prays for us. Lord, I ask that we might know the power of his prayer. I pray that you would grant to us an enlightenment, give us direction, encourage us, remind us, God, who we are, whose we are, and why we are where you have placed us. Use us for your glory now and always. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of his truth as you journey through this day.